0: Well, greetings this Lord's Day, people of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Greetings. It is a wonderful day to be invited into God's presence to lift up the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. The Lord has uh, called his people to come together in his presence and to pray for justice. And justice is coming. Everybody say, justice is coming the judge is coming right the bible tells us that he will one day judge the world with equity a good judge is a hard thing to find uh, but one day god himself will come in the form of uh, christ and will sit on the throne of judgment judging all of the nations david saying about this in psalm forty eight He said, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge, for lo, the kings were assembled and they passed by together. They saw it and so they marveled and they were troubled and they hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there in pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish and as an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk around Zion. Go round about her and tell all of the towers thereof. Mark you well her bulwarks and consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation that follows. For great is our God forever and ever. He will be the guide even unto death. Let us pray. Lord, you are the good judge. Lord, we are thankful that we are not that, that you have given us your Spirit, that you have covered us in your blood, that you have not dealt with us according to our sins, but instead have given us righteousness and a standing of righteousness, not based on the deeds of our own flesh, but because of the perfect life of your Son. Today, as we gather into your presence, we come today asking for forgiveness, knowing that it is offered freely to us as the great gift that You offer Your people. And Lord, we thank You that that's not all that You've done. Instead of just forgiving us, Lord, You have made us heirs and joint heirs with Christ, that we are part of the family of God, and that we are going to receive an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefilable, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for us. And Lord, we come hungry hungering and thirsting after righteousness, according to your word, knowing we shall be filled. Fill us today, feed us, talk to us. We long to hear your voice, Lord. Help us, change us, that we might be made fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said... to be reading for you psalm chapter 9 verses 11 through 14 my sermon today is called "Zion's song of justice hear the word of the lord from psalm chapter 9 starting in verse 11 sing praises to the lord which dwelleth in zion declare among the people his doings when he maketh inquisition for blood he remembereth them he forgetteth not the cry of the humble have mercy upon me O Lord and consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me that thou liftest me up from the gates of death that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion I will rejoice in thy salvation let us pray Lord we love you and we thank you for loving us Lord, we are humbled that we are even allowed to stand before you, Lord, because we know that we are a people of unclean hands and unclean lips. But Lord, you indeed have done what the prophet did. There was a coal taken off of the altar that cleansed him. Cleanse us, O God, by the power of your spirit, by your blood. Lord, may we give thanks, Lord, that Your justice has not been executed upon us, but, Lord, that You receive justice in the person of Jesus Christ for us. And for that reason, we are justified for God. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The last time we were together here in the Psalms, we covered part one of Psalm chapter nine. And we talked about faith for prayer. Here in this psalm of David, we are reminded that sometimes we need faith to pray. We don't have any. The Bible says if we pray, we must pray in faith. And sometimes we've got to kind of remind ourselves why we should have faith. We are so sinful and depraved that we oftentimes forget God. Taking time to remember what God has done and what God will do according to His Word helps us in the present. We think back at the things He did. We look forward to what we believe He will do. And we go, okay, God can help me right now. I need the help of God. And we pray by faith. We want to please God. And as Hebrews 11 teaches us, without faith, it is what? It is impossible impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As we move on to the second part of the psalm, as we look into Psalm 9 further, we will see what it was that David needed faith to pray for. He had an object of his prayer. Many times we get down on our knees and we cry out to God, there's something we want. It's generally one main thing, right? something happens in our life and we would like it remedied. There's an illness that needs to be dealt with. There's a situation that needs to be resolved and we cry out to God for that thing. Sometimes we maybe have a list, but when we really, really in earnest come to before the Lord, there's generally one thing that we're looking for, right? And that's what's going on here in Psalm 9. David is after one thing, brother Steve, one thing he wants. Now, I call this sermon Zion's song of justice because David longed for the just judge of heaven to bring justice to the earth how many times have you wanted that how many times have you felt treated unfairly how many times have you seen others who were mistreated and sinned against and you smack your fist as it were on the you know the pulpit before you as you're standing there preaching to yourself or thinking about this and you're saying God do something about this David wanted something to be done he wanted the justice of God to come down as it was executed in heaven and he wanted it to be executed the same way on earth he wanted what we all want isn't that what you long for don't you want things to be set right everywhere I do Set them right, though, what God would say to you this. Set them right in your own life, in your own home, and in your church, and eventually you will see how God will use this to set everything right in the whole wide world. Oftentimes we are unjust to the people around us. We hold unforgiveness against them. We do not treat our children and our wives or our husbands rightly, our friends fairly. But yet we look out and we rail against the injustices in the world. And the power of God, though, isn't that your wagging finger or your personal indignation against other sins. What God calls us to do is to look at our own sin. And to see how unjust it is. How ungodly it is and how tyrannical it is over those whom God has given us to love. That's really where we should want justice the most. But where we seek for justice the least the injustice of the world under the domain of men was certainly as painful to look upon in the time of David's day as it is today he longed for the righteous judge to make things right oh Lord Jesus we want the same thing today everybody say this Lord Jesus come to earth in justice Lord Jesus come to earth in justice and I called it Zion Song of Justice because I wanted to talk about Zion. You know, Zion is a word we use, Brother Jason. It's common if you've been a Christian or you read the Word of God or you sing songs. You know, what was our song, Jonathan? Zion. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion. We're singing Zion, Zion City of our God. We say Zion. We talk about Zion. We mention Zion, but maybe even some of the young ones among us they hear us sing but they really don't understand why we are calling out to God to and, and talking about Zion we're not Israelites we don't live in Israel but fortunately your pastor went there and I was struck by what Zion was honestly you know and, and sometimes I think God does this to me I'm a little bit of a child when it comes to God teaching me new things, I'm not embarrassed to tell everyone in the whole church, I just didn't know that. It's probably scary for you. you know. He's been a pastor for 30 years and he didn't know that. Well, how can he expect me to know? Well, I didn't understand exactly what Zion is. But I went there and now I, now I know. So if you want to know, I'll tell you all about it. So what, is, what does it mean when we say Zion? What did David mean? Zion was and still is a powerful symbol for God's people. And so let's just take a minute to look at what it is. The, the word or the place Zion is mentioned in the Bible 154 times in the Old Testament alone. How many of you think you should be able to accurately understand what Zion is? If it's mentioned 154 times in the Old Testament <laughs> as a symbol of something powerful. I think, come on, raise your hands if you think that you should. All right. It is first mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 5, right after David is finally anointed king in Hebron. Now king of all Israel, he goes to the city of Jerusalem, which was ruled by the Jebusites. The people of God had not thrown the Jebusites out of the city of Jerusalem, and there it was. And so there was a citadel there in the rock, and... Uh, It is referred to in the book of 1st Chronicles as a castle and I I understand why most of Israel is made of rock and so You know when you are even in in Europe and some of these other places You will see that the very best place to build a castle is on a rock Because what people want to do when you have a castle is they want to dig under the castle But if your castle is built on a gigantic rock Well good luck with tunneling under that right? And so, the rock that is on the top of Mount Zion is a mountain that they dug into and they created a citadel in there. And these people, the Jebusites, did so. And they didn't want people ever to be able to starve them out. And what do you need more than you need food? Water. You need water, right? And so, in this area of Zion, where this citadel that the Jebusites built, Is solid rock, but there, if you go down, they've tunneled down in the rock, down, 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 down. And I went down in this tunnel. It's named today, it's named Hezekiah's Tunnel. But go down, 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 down. And you know what's down there in this rock? It is a source, a massive source of flowing water. There's a tunnel that's hundreds of feet long. I think it's, uh, maybe boys remember, 1,800 feet long. And it was waist deep in flowing water, and you can walk through it. So if you were thirsty, and you were being starved out by your enemies who encamped about you, do you think they could make you run out of water anytime soon with, with down in the rock of the city, this, this flowing fountain of water? No, I don't think so. But David and his men, they actually, Joab, who wasn't that important uh, until this day, David said, whoever can swim up this water thing and go into the city from underneath, that guy, I'm going to make him my captain. And so Joab volunteers for the job. He swims up into in, in, in this, they called it a gutter in the Bible, but it is a it is a tunnel uh, underwater. Can you imagine saying, I'm gonna swim, Jason, into this spring, and I'm gonna go underwater, and I'm gonna be totally underwater for a while in the dark, and then I'm gonna pop up on the other side, however far away that is. Wouldn't that be scary? That's why, that's why David said, any man brave enough to do this can be my captain. And Joab offers to do it. He goes inside and somehow, we don't know exactly, but uh, it's, it's recorded in 1 Chronicles as one of the mighty acts of the mighty men of David. He overthrows, he helps from inside, helps overthrow the city, opens it up. And David loves this place, Zion, this city, this Mount Zion where the Jebusites uh, ruled. He throws them out and he decides to make that his capital. He decides it's in the center of Israel, it's on this big mountain, it's in the citadel, it's got a great water source, and this is going to be my place. Now what does God's word say about the throne of David? The throne of David I will establish how long? For a really long time? Or for? Forever. So we see David and, he, and, he, and the king of Tyre sends him cedars from Lebanon and they begin to build and they build the city Uh, of David. Now, the city of David is actually separate from the rest of Jerusalem. If you visit Jerusalem, I was inside the, the old walls and I was feeling pretty good and someone says, well, would you like to visit the city of David? And I'm like, you moron. I'm in the city of David. That's Jerusalem. And they're like, no, you're actually a moron. The city of David is right over there. And I'm like, whoa. So we go over there. And the city of David is a very specific little place where David's palace was built. All those years ago and where he lived and and where not only was his palace built, but guess what was built there too? The temple. Now, a lot of people place the temple in a whole other place in Jerusalem, but our good brother Phil Kaiser lays out a good argument for why the temple was not where the Muslims are on the Temple Mount, next to the Wailing Wall, but where the temple was actually there in the city of David. And David is actually buried there. And not only is that there, but do you know what's there, Andy? This place called the upper room. Wouldn't that sort of make sense biblically that God would have Pentecost, the fires of Pentecost, rain down where the temple was, where the the atoning fire of God would come down? Talk about a holy place. Talk about an amazing, wonderful place. And we got to go there. The boys and I visited, as I said, this now excavated palace. On Mount Zion Mount Zion is one of two mountains in Jerusalem itself one is Mount Moriah and the other one is Mount Zion And they come together these two peaks come together and that's where the city of Jerusalem is built Here God established a godly kingdom the seat of the kingdom of God on earth everybody say the kingdom of God You see the kingdom of God started with David David was a man after God's own heart. God gave them Saul, a king like they wanted, a king like all the other nations. But when God gave them a king after his own heart, he established that kingdom and he said he was going to stand forever. So David leaves Hebron where he is anointed and he goes up to to this place and he begins to establish his throne. Zion would come to represent many things. And if you were in North Korea today and you heard them say, we're going to send a message to Washington, you would know that they mean either the president or the government or maybe even the entire nation, right? Now, what if they said, we're going to send a message to the Oval Office? We'd know exactly what they meant, right? And so Zion means a lot of things in general, but specifically, it's the Oval Office of the power of God. It is the throne of His judgment. Mount Zion in particular, as I said, is a peak here where God's uh, power was established in the world here with the children of Israel. Now, in fact, Zion is used more than a hundred times more. Uh, it's mentioned in, by the, the, the prophets, besides out of the book of Psalms, it's in the book of Psalms many, many times. But it is mentioned a hundred times by the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets together. In New Testament, we look forward to, and we look at the New Testament writers, we look and we see them that Zion is what they call the kingdom of God on earth. It is the church. We read it today. Uh, Our good brother was reading out of Hebrews, and he was talking about, we're not come to... Mount Sinai. We're not coming to the place where the black uh, clouds of God and the thunders and lightnings that Moses came down. We're not coming to that mountain, right? But we're coming to what? We're coming to Mount Zion. In In the New Testament for some reason, the King James writers misspelled Zion every single time. And they spelled it with an S. This caused your pastor a lot of pain and suffering. Because I wanted to make sure I was uh, handling the Word of God properly, and I saw Zion, and Zion, and there's actually a place in the Old Testament called Zion, and there's these wild theories. I won't, there's no way on earth I could share all that with you, but just suffice it to say, Zion with an S in the New Testament is Zion with a Z from the Old, it's the same place. Paul, the traditionally accepted of the book of authors, was explaining that God's kingdom was coming through the church of the living God. You're not coming to a smoking mountain like Moses did. It says in Hebrews 12:22, "But you are come to Mount Zion, under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church, the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to the God, the Judge of all. Everybody say, He's the Judge of all. The judge of all. God, of all. God, the Judge. We, we've got to remember who the Judge is and who it's not. Everybody say, I'm not the judge. judge. No man is the judge. judge. God is the judge. judge. To the General Assembly, the firstborn, written in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. Peter quotes Isaiah that we read earlier today uh, from Isaiah 28. He quotes this. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion. Paul quotes this. He says, "I lay in second, second Peter chapter, or, or first Peter chapter two, verse six. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on Him shall not be confounded." We will visit uh, Isaiah twenty-eight a little bit more here in a little bit, but Jesus, of course, is this cornerstone of the great kingdom that will never and can never be overthrown. The kingdom of heaven has come to earth in the church over which He, the Judge, presides. John talked about it in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. The Lamb stands on Mount Zion with 144,000 saints coming in His glory to rule the world at the consummation of all things. So let's go back to the Psalms. Is Is that a good little foundation for Zion and its meaning? Zion is mentioned 37 times in the Psalms alone starting in Psalm 2. Does anyone remember from our February memorization as a church. Anybody in the Myanmar team? Can anyone quote for me the verse that talks about Zion and Psalms that we've already we've already just walked over, but we never mentioned Zion? Anybody? Come on. Psalm two. I'll give you a hint. Jonathan wins the prize. Beep. Yet have I set my holy King upon my holy hill of Zion? you know it's an amazing thing how you can walk right past things literally uh... and god can bring them into your mind it's already it's already been mentioned we never talked about zion in psalm chapter two verse six but it starts in psalm six or psalm two and look what it says here in psalm two about this in psalm two psalm two is about god overthrowing men's rule and establishing his own kingdom with his son It is the particular theme of this psalm. David knew he was the beginning of this wonderful work that God was doing in the world to save the world. Justice was coming. And I'll ask you to say it again one more time. I want you all to say with me: justice is coming. Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, come, let us break their bands asunder. Let's cast away their cords from us. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall He shall laugh. God's not frightened of the people of earth. He doesn't look at them and quake and tremble. It's us who tremble, amen? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. The Lord shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings of the earth. Be instructed you, judges of the earth. Today we should be instructed. We think we're the judges of the earth. We hold things against people. We look down upon our nose. We we want justice to come for us. We want justice to come against them, and we look with hatred and and we look with contempt instead of looking at our own sin and our own lives. We look at the lives of others. But be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you. And you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Folks, justice is coming and it's coming from Zion. Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sift thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauty of thy holiness, from the womb of the morning and the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn, and he will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge. Everybody say, he shall judge. He shall judge, he shall judge. He shall judge among the heathen, and he shall fill. The places with dead bodies, and he shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way, and therefore shall his head be lifted up. The judge is coming, justice is coming, and this is the song of Zion. Psalm 149, David praise he says, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made them, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise His name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto Him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people and He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory and let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute judgment written, this honor has all the saints. Praise ye the Lord." It's kind of an amazing thing. They're praising, they're dancing, they're exciting. And he says, oh, let the high praises of God be in your mouth, but let a two-edged sword. The church is coming. The body of Christ Himself is coming in the earth to bring judgment against the world. And the judgment that comes against the world will come from Him, but it will come through you and I. Justice is coming through the kingdom. Justice coming through you and I. And if we look back a few verses in Psalm 9 before we finish Psalm 9 here, you'll see what we covered a couple of weeks ago, and you'll see that this is at the very heart of what David is praying about. Psalm 9, David said as we talked about a few weeks ago, For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou hast us. Thou sat in the throne judging right. David is talking about righteous judgment. Thou rebuked the heathen. Thou destroyed the wicked. Thou put out their name forever. David was having to remember that God doesn't let things go. God, God is not asleep. God is not, he's not that he's unable to deal with people that need to be dealt with. God knows how to deal with them and he will. And we are foolish when we think he's somehow not watching or somehow he's too weak to deal with the men that need to be dealt with. God's not weak. God knows what he's doing. I won't completely get into all of it, but someone called me about some horrible thing, and it was horrible. And they were angry with God. Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God keep this from happening? Why doesn't God do something about this? And he was angry. And he was insulting God. I told this man to be more careful of what God might do to him. We don't talk about God like that. Listen, we are going to experience tragedy difficulty people are going to hurt us we are not the judge and the jury amen god has not called us to do that vengeance is mine saith the lord oh thou enemy destructions are come david's reminding himself he's having to talk to himself okay god i know you've done this before lord i know it's what you do but lord i really really want to see it happen The Lord shall endure forever, He says. He hath prepared His throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people that are in uprightness. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed that they may know that that Thy name and they will put their trust in Thee. For Thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them. That seek Thee. David is having to talk himself out of being the judge. You see, he had lived... A life watching someone become a judge. Remember, we talked about this a while back. It was what David's heart was so distraught over. Here he had a one of his sons raped one of his daughters because he didn't do what he should do about it. His son took it into his hands, Absalom, right? And he kills the son Amnon. He kills him because he needs to pay for what he's done to Tamar. David watches what happens when a man takes justice into his own hands and he kills and he takes revenge. What happened to Absalom? Absalom ends up dead, shamed, hanging in an oak bow by his hair, killed by the hands of David's men. David's heart is ripped realizing that because he did not do what God had called him to do, his son dies in shame and humiliation. He suffered with it. He needs to remember God deals with people. Even when David was running around from Saul, hiding from him, he did not pull out his sword and take out against Saul. Even though Saul was unjust, he said, I will not do this thing. I will not stretch out my hand against God's anointed. God made him king, and God will deliver him from being king. God will do his holy will. And what did God do? He saw that God took out Jonathan and David on that day even though Jonathan had not sinned after the similitude of his father and that judgment oftentimes goes not only to the one who does it but to those that are around them what a horrible sad thing it was to see the death of these men but yet it was he knew right and righteous that God would smite Saul for his ungodly uh, rebellion against God himself because God removed Saul for refusing to obey him you might start to see a pattern here in the Psalms in this first part of the psalm and as we walk through the rest of it I think I've built enough of a story here that you can understand what's going on he starts in verse 11 sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion he's remembering who sits on the throne it wasn't his throne yes David built his palace there yes the temple was there but David wasn't thinking about his throne in Zion he was thinking about his throne. David was king of Israel but he understood who the real king was amen he saw himself he saw how ungodly his life was he saw how he had killed uh, the the husband of Bathsheba in his idea his scheming ways but yet God did not kill him he did not even remove him from his throne He left him there! And He was kind to him and He forgave him and David had to live with the shame of it. But David understood that he wasn't great. He understood that God was great. God is not just in heaven. He established Himself on earth. He started with Zion where the temple was where David's throne was built. And it would not only be the throne of David, it would be the place that God puts His justice in His throne. Justice among men but also the proper worship of God. God rules the church and He rules the state as well. Verse 12, when He makes inquisition for blood, He remembers them and He forgets not the cry of the humble. David is reminding himself God hears and God sees and God is watching. And David had to remember this because what seeds up inside of us when we become indignant for righteousness, we need to remember that God sees everything you just saw And what, are you more mad than God? God hears the cry of the poor and the humble, the guilty will pay. The judge who knows and sees all things will bring earth to reckon. No more will rich men, Lord, over the poor and oppress them. No more will rich men make themselves richer by the misery of the humble and the poor. This day is coming to an end. The Bible says everything that's crooked will be made what? will be straightened. And all those things that are be that are done in secret will be shout out loud. Living here in America, uh, we see it once in a while, but we certainly don't see it uh, like we see it in third world countries. The disparity in the rest of the world between those that rule and those that live under the rule of men, we almost feel equal to any man. The disparity in many places is so stark that injustice cries out in the face of the helpless and the exploited. Billions suffer under the unjust rule of men today, but this will not always be so. David wanted it to end right then, and he understood that God would end it, and he prayed that God would do that. He needed faith to pray this prayer, because it's hard to watch it, and it's hard to see nothing happen. It's hard to see people get away with it. It's hard to see people free. It's hard to see people appear to be blessed and just fine who are hurting and damaging and oppressing people. It's a hard thing. Could you imagine living in North Korea today? Could you imagine watching people? And when I hear the stories of what goes on there, it makes me want to be a freedom fighter. It makes me want to. I want to. When I heard what was going, have you heard what's going on in Africa right now? Boko Haram is going door to door and they're pulling Christians out and they're shooting them one after the other? You think it doesn't make me want to just go, okay, I'm here in the church, but maybe I could go kill a few of them so that my brothers and sisters don't have to die in Africa. You hear about what they're doing. They're starving these Christians in North Korea. They're freezing to death. They're literally eating the leather from their shoes to try not to starve to death and freeze to death. And these men in their, you know... Wealth and their opulence and their pride, they walk around like peacocks. And, and I'm like, God, kill them! I'm not any more just than God. Our own inequity, though, as I said earlier, all I can do as a man of God from the pulpit is point us where God's word points us it points us to look at our own injustice that we can deal with. Can you, can you stop Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il or Boko Haram or ISIS or all? No, you can't. I remember the first time I went down to the abortion mill and it was my first real face-to-face encounter with women coming in with children in their bodies and leaving with no children in their bodies and they killed them and I was, I remember being outside the abortion mill and I remember clenching and going I should stop this. Like, what is my life? I mean, I got a gun. Why don't I go down there and kick the door open and shoot every doctor? Because they can't do this killing if there are no doctors. I remember really needed to be talked down from the ledge. Now, you might go, well, you know, that's crazy. Well, I, you know, that's just, that's me. Singing was nice. Calling out, please don't do this. That was nice. But I'm like, oh, I could stop this right now. But I remember Jesus didn't do anything like that, Heath. Do you know He knew about the child exploitation? He knew about sexual molestation. He knew about men who were abusing their wives. He knew about uh, leaders and rulers around the world. Jesus didn't go over to Babylon and go, you've been oppressing your people, and smite the man. Did, he, did, did Jesus ever do that? Not one time. But what He did do is braid a whip and run out the people that were... Lording over people in his church and making it impossible for them to come to him because he didn't have enough money To buy the right kinds of sacrifices. He did throw them out And if you look at the life of Jesus, you know that Jesus was doing something he has a bigger plan I don't understand God's ways. I don't understand why God doesn't kill them all But you know what I do understand that God knows better than I do and that he's the judge of the world And I know that if it were up to just flat out straight justice that I don't deserve to live either. So when would the killing stop and where would it stop? Would it stop with you? Our inequity should be as painful to us as what we see in the world around us. May we begin with ourselves to see the rule of Christ, the just judge of the earth in our own homes. Isaiah promised the day was going to come he says in Isaiah 28 wherefore hear the word of the Lord you scornful men that rule the people in Jerusalem he wasn't talking about the Babylonians he wasn't talking about the Amalekites he was talking about the people of the church where does judgment begin people of God in the house of God and if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged the Bible tells us not to judge others but it certainly tells us to do what to judge ourselves and this is what we don't want to do we want to go to church and we want the church to tell us how good we are and how we're better than them and how God is going to judge them but if Jesus were here and he was standing in the pulpit his message would not be what is going to happen to them his message would be why are you not just to your wife and to your children and to the people around you why can you as churches not even get along I went to Israel and found that the the church of the Holy Sepulchre that Christians Cannot get along enough to even own the key of the church or the Holy Sepulchre, that it has been passed down through the hands of Muslim families for over 800 years because Christians can't even be kind enough to each other to share a building they believe is over the tomb of Christ. Really? That's vile. Here we are supposed to be children of the King, walking in the light as children of light, and we cannot even agree. We can't even get together. We can't even love each other. We look down our noses at people that think differently than us or who read the Bible a little bit differently than us. We are unjust as a people. We are ungodly as a people, and yet we spend all of our days looking at Hollywood's ungodliness and do not look at our own. Justice is coming. Where is it coming? Hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule the people in Jerusalem. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. He's talking about these false leaders that pretend to be something that they're not, right? Right? Therefore, says the Lord, I lay in Zion a foundation stone. See, he's not going to build on the hypocrisy of men. I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. What's the first word after that line? We love to sing about the stone being laid, but laid. we like to sing about Jesus. But what's the very first word mentioned after that? The word is judgment. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters Shall overflow the hiding place and your covenant with death shall be disannulled. Folks when we sin And we're God's people it's different than when the world does it I can tell you that We're children of light. We're to walk as children of light. We're not to live like the Gentiles live. We're not to think like they think They walk in darkness when they sin and it looks so disgusting to you, why do you not look at yourself and say, I don't love my wife, I don't love my children, I don't love my neighbor as myself. Why are you not indignant over that? Justice is coming through Jesus. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me, that Thou lift me up from the gates of death. This is David. He's continuing here in Psalm 9. He he's, is getting to the heart of it. It's injustice, injustice, injustice. But Corinne, why do you think is, his mind is on injustice? Because an injustice has been made against him. Most of us walk around and we don't notice any injustice is going on with anybody. But when one comes to us... It's really a big deal. Oh God, make it right. Somehow David had suffered an injustice at the hands of ungodly men. It was forcing him to see the injustice of the whole. This is what often happens to us. We live inward focused, self-centered lives until we're forced to look at others. Until we suffer the same thing ourselves. We are generally blind to it in others. It is further evidence of our own depravity. Oh God, give us eyes to see, oh Lord. David continues to pray for justice for himself. Verse 14, Oh that I may show forth all thy praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. David is wanting to have faith that God is going to right this injustice in his life so that he doesn't go to do it like he has seen done. next david sings of the end of the wicked the chaff which the wind of god's judgment will drive away one day the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made the net which they hid has their own foot taken the lord is known by the judgment which he executeth; the wicked are snared in the work of his own hands and there's a word in here there's a word in here that's not in the bible anywhere else It's. Higgiaion, I don't even exactly know the proper pronunciation, but it's H-I-G-G-A-I-A-O-N, Higgiaion. And it is a murmuring of a harp. Imagine if if I was reading something to you, Brother Derek, and, and I'm reading it to you, and I get to a certain point in it, and I stop, and then I slowly start murmuring on the harp. I'm giving you a minute. Think about this. What have we just been talking about? We've been talking about justice. You want justice to come? And David's singing about, there's this murmuring of the harp that goes on. It's time to think about what you're just saying. It's time to think about what you're singing. God calls us to look into his word and see ourselves. What is it that we need to change? What is it, how do we need to be different? And he gives them time for meditation on the murmuring. This, It was is a pause in the music of this song here. Stop and think about this for a minute. He wanted those hearing the singing of the psalm to meditate on the judgment looming over the wicked, but to consider the judgment looming over us. Because as we read earlier today, our God is a consuming fire. Do you know this was said to the Christian people, Brother Tim? Our God's a consuming fire. We would like to stand, right? We'd like to stand over Nineveh and go, God is going to smite the earth with... What we want to do and god says you know i got that what's he going to do to you we need to consider the god we serve we do well to remember that god sees all and knows all and that nothing can be hid from him his judgment begins where in the house of god among his people god will not tolerate the sinful behavior from those within his kingdom be ye holy for i am holy saith the lord flee from your sin cast it out ask god to cleanse you from it sin and the filth of it will pollute your life and bring judgment upon you in this life and i know i don't talk about this a lot from our pulpit but i i feel maybe i have let us down folks i'm telling you right now you have sin in your life that you are allowing You have secret sin that nobody knows about. You tolerate ungodliness and think that it's somehow not being seen. You can think again. God who numbers the hairs on our head. Who watches the sparrow fall to the ground. Who loves us and cares for us. He's also attentive to our thoughts. Our intents. He knows our ungodliness. He knows the things that we allow in our lives that we justify. For every man is justified in his own eyes. Examine yourself. Am I allowing sin? Am I lying? Am I being dishonest? Am I lusting? Am I being covetousness? Am I allowing that in my life? Folks, I'm telling you, God will not allow it. You want Him to come and be the judge. Just know He's coming to your house first. And judgment will come to those around you. Judgment came on Saul and sweet Jonathan died on Mount Gilboa with him that day. And your family and those around you will suffer if you refuse to forsake your sin and you live in it, I'm telling you, God, I don't believe God is going to put you in hell for the things that you're doing. I think He's going to forgive you, but I think He may just kill you if you continue in sin. That's what the Bible tells us in First Corinthians chapter 11. When people came, they discerned not the body of the Lord. They were unkind to their fellow believers. They were living in drunkenness and self-centeredness instead of coming and considering the body of the Lord. And He said, because of that, some of you are sick. And your sickness won't go away. And others of you are dead as a result of it. God does not allow his people to live in sin. It, it's not, he, he does not. Please flee from your sin for the sake of those around you, for yourself. That you might live a long and prosperous life giving glory to God. You and I will reap what we sow. So let us sow the seeds of righteousness and repudiate evil in our own lives. Amen? The wicked shall be turned to hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Can you see David's heart is rising? Okay, Lord, I know you're going to judge the earth, and you're going to judge rightly. Not only does God call us to turn away from our sins of commission, but he calls us to remember the sins of omission. God tells us to remember the widow, the fatherless, the foreigners in our land, to help the helpless, to bear one another's burdens, to so fulfill the law of Christ. Not only are we to kill the sinful members of our flesh that are contrary to the law of God, but we are to rise and walk in newness of life. We have been called out of darkness, but that's not all. We have been called into His marvelous light. Do you live like someone walking in the marvelous light of this new wondrous kingdom? Do your bowels of compassion press you to relieve the hurting and the needy? Or do you live a self-focused, pleasure-filled life like the heathens do around you? Do you spend the majority of your life seeking money for food, for clothes, and for shelter like the blind heathens live in their lives here on earth? Or do you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Do you spend your days worrying around and about tomorrow or walking in faith for today? Arise, O Lord, David continues in verse 19. Let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. And this last line is something I hope reverberates. I hope it echoes like a canyon in your mind and in your soul all day long. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. On the phone, listening to this person rail against God, I thought to myself, oh, have mercy. And I literally, I went and prayed, oh, God. Anybody that stands up and talks about God as though he's bigger than God, who talks about God as though he's smarter than God, and sometimes we do that when we're angry. But today, may we be in fear and know that we are but men. Amen? Help us, oh, God, to know who we are. God is God, and we or not. Let us pray. Lord, we hear this song. The song of Zion. The justice of Zion. Lord, it is Your throne that is established forever, Lord. Lord, may we not think ourselves sitting in it. May we not be those who judge others, but may we judge ourselves. Lord, we call on you today to bring to light our sins. Lord, that we may not be ashamed or have the occasion of our enemies, Lord, to rail against you. We're your people, Lord. We can't live in sin. We can't tolerate ungodliness in our life. And not only that, but we must be holy like you. Lord God, make us holy. Lord, teach us to walk in mercy and kindness, to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as you, for Christ's sake, have forgiven us. Let that be our prayer today as we sing Zion's song for justice. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.